This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Just stone go set up. If you're gonna blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. On with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and we are back at it. It is game week, Texas and West Virginia. Going to get it on Saturday at one of my favorite named venues in the Big 12, Milan Pushkar Stadium in Morgantown. <laughs> Love saying that. that. Sounds like name? West Virginia. Apparently, I don't know if Milan Pushkar was a guy or what, but I, I just... I was going to say, is that, a, is, that a, is that like a sponsor of like a company? Is that a person? We got to ask Craig Way about that. Yeah, might need to do some it research. Is it is a person. Matt's gonna throw I'm that in the Matt's gonna throw that is. in the Google Hold machine and see what comes car. back. But okay. uh, I do like yeah. that name. There he is. Oh, oh wow. Okay, yeah. entrepreneur and philanthropist. Yeah. Oh, there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> good for him. We so we all learned something here at the top of the show. That That's what we do good. here on Longhorn Blitz. Did not know that. I am Jeff Howell. Let me bring in the rest of the team so we can talk about all matters on the 40 Acres and this Texas-West Virginia game. He is the master of the soundboard, the drum machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. Going to actually bring you this guard so you can put it on your microphone as we go. A little bit quick uh, day here. but High high production values. Yes, yes. On, we had to switch mic. We did some musical chairs as we started the show, but I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm wonderful. Uh, you will also hear from Mike Roach. We're going to talk recruiting in this podcast. We haven't had Mike on the last couple of episodes. Technical difficulties and my schedule. Uh, Mike's travel schedule. All of it was just out of whack, but we got Mike on this week. We're going to talk recruiting. That's why the uh, Mike uh, Mike screen situation was messed up. But the man who has a screen on his microphone uh, and he needs one anytime he goes on a rant doesn't want to split any wires in there. <laughs> a lifetime sure. Longhorn, 2002 UT All American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring gets back in, I promise I will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, you get that black card, number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks and, for uh, the intro, brother. No problem, Rod. Uh, gentlemen, anything stick out to you from a college football standpoint? Very rarely you know, do we get to yeah, sit back and watch, watch games. college football? We did during the bye week. My brother uh, attended the Baylor Iowa State game. We were texting. Hey, that would we have been a good game. Well, we were texting back and forth. It was not a good game early. We were texting well, back. Early, and, yeah, well, ultimately, we're yeah. texting back and forth. He's like, "What do you think?" I said, 
Honestly, I switched channels. I'm watching Clemson, North Carolina right now. Yeah, <laughs> I did that. I went back and forth. But uh, yeah, Purdy, Purdy is struggling without Hakeem Butler and David Montgomery. Wow, That's pretty I obvious. wonder. I wonder mm-hmm. if there was mm-hmm. only a podcast that yeah. in the off season would have mentioned how tough yeah. a transition that. And you would know be. what? He'll be fine because I'm sure there's some other guys in the pipeline. But Iowa State cannot replace guys like that. Just you know, I mean, every year they got to take three or four years for that to build up. Uh, but I, Baylor looks like they may be a little bit better than we thought. We know they hadn't played anybody. This was the first team that I think they had kind of a real kind of competitive barometer against, yeah. and I thought Baylor looked pretty good. You guys can feel free to correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. Baylor, to me, is kind of where early on maybe Texas was last year. Yeah. Where no, I think like, they're – they're they're confident, but I think I think they're still needing to take that next step of like knowing they can compete week in and week out, and knowing how to win against uh, and, and knowing how to win against really really good teams. But I think that I love Matt Rule. You know, I love him as a coach. Yeah. They do got a quarterback. Uh, Denzel Mims is now playing really really well at the wide receiver position, making big plays. And when we talk about the best receivers in the conference, Rod, we don't even really mention him. But he's yeah, should. But the Big Twelve just said, yeah, exactly. There's so many guys. I mean, CD Lamb just had his breakout performance this week. He was actually under the radar. Rambo was the big was kind of their big time receiver to go to guy for Oklahoma in that offense. But they got Lynch at Baylor, who's a good player on the defensive line. I don't know. I think Baylor might be a little bit better than we thought. K-State maybe not as good as they had looked earlier. K-State maybe got exposed a little bit. Uh, Oklahoma State, but I think Oklahoma State in their performance versus K-State I think makes Longhorn fans feel a little bit better about their defensive performance versus Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Watts. Yeah, I caught a little bit of that game. That game to me, Matt, I don't know what you watched this weekend. That to me is more of – Kind of a validation of Oklahoma yeah. State rather than an indictment totally agree. against K State. That's a that's a good football team. That's not yeah. a bad football team at all. I mean, not yeah, hundred percent. And Baylor's the type of team that it, y'all explained it perfectly. They're that young team that you're a little afraid of. It sort of seems like where t- the Big Twelve Conference was for like the early 2010s, where on any given day this team could win or lose versus anybody. But it's very volatile and it can go north or south in any quarter. Yeah, you know, Baylor, when you look at their schedule, not that, you know, they get a great home field advantage playing at McLean, but, um, you know, they do get Oklahoma at home. Uh, you know, they, they do get Texas at Texas, home. Huh? And they got to go to Stillwater, which Baylor never plays well in Stillwater. This is true. Um, so, not many do. Yeah, so it's – I think, Rod, what this weekend really showed me was Oklahoma State, Baylor, there's some teams that, you know – could make things interesting, yeah. especially since those two teams still have Oklahoma left on the schedule and Baylor still has Texas and Oklahoma. But And, and even TCU, I think, against Kansas, just kind of getting TCU. back up off the mat after losing to now what might actually be a really good SMU team, hmm. as it turns out. How about that? Um, yeah. best, but, one, best one in a couple of decades. <laughs> but I think the best, best team they've had post-death penalty. That's like how 30, long yeah, 30, what, five years? But and as to, a Texas fan, to sit back and just see Bouchelle versus Strong was pretty cool in addition to your Mac tour of the season. Like, yeah. it's very bizarre a world for yeah, college man. football right now. Char- Charlie's Charlie's a loss to UConn away from being done, right? Mm, I agree with that. Yeah. I Shane mean, Bouchelle might have. Yeah. yeah, he might have ended it for Charlie. That might have been it right there. We just that was the beginning of it. It was end, like he maybe. gave him a hug at his own funeral. <laughs> yeah, it, it's you know, you guys know. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a bash Charlie thing, but no. you, you hear some of the stuff he's saying this week. It's like, well, we're gonna make changes, things are gonna be different. It's like, man, how many weeks did we have here where we just heard like, Oh, we gotta change things around, it's gonna be different, yada yada yada. And when you're when you're at that point, Rod, it really it's the writing's on the wall already. I know, and I'm, and I'm just trying to think. I mean, a lot of people said he was just kind of a Teddy Bridgewater 
um, like product, basically. Like he was just a product of having a really great quarterback. You take you away the that. and if you take away those years, take away the really, last two years at Louisville and the first year at South Florida, where he inherited a really good team from Willie Taggart. He's that's a, right. He's a sub five hundred coach because they had a really good quarterback. What was his name? Quentin Daniels. That, yeah, or Quentin Flowers. No, I'm sorry. Quentin, Flowers, Quentin Flowers. Yeah, sure. it was a really good athlete. Um, yeah. I mean, that's it's a good recipe. If you can recruit, okay, I get a good quarterback. Like, if you're at a school like a Louisville, you can outperform your peers and be good. But that doesn't mean that you are, say, the best at your trade or would fit everywhere well, else. They, but yeah, if they, you're at Charlie's a place. Charlie's not giving you a coaching advantage. Right. It's pretty simple. And Louisville, it's pretty simple just, about this. That, uh, it, as that, a head coach, he's not yeah. giving you a coach. Those last two years at Louisville, everybody they played except maybe UCF, and you can argue Louisville was more talented than UCF, they out-talented everybody they played. Yeah. No, I agree with that. In terms of the coaching thing, though, I think that, honestly, we're discussing basically who's the third best team in the Big 12. I think ultimately that's what the discussion may come down to is who gives you the advantage who's that other coach behind Oklahoma and Texas because they have the talent advantage and I think they have both have really good coaches. Uh-huh. Um, you know what I mean? Who behind that is the coach? Is it Gary Patterson? Is it... You know, is it Gundy? Is, like, you think he's Gundy's the best coach in the Big 12? Is it Matt Campbell? Is it Matt Rule? That's a good point. Because I think, cause I think those, all when those Texas guys have resources. When Texas and OU have those when things, Texas, yeah, you you're can't, a slight years ahead. You're, I, you it's can't like how get, Texas yeah. OU was in the early 2000s. Exactly. Until you allowed. Well, even in late 2008 yep. and all that. Until scheme came into these lesser schools. So at least right. you could see, well, you know, Texas was uh, devolving maybe in that regard at the time while everybody else was evolving. And, but if you can get to the point where you are the haves and you have scheme well then it's hard to equal that plane i think it might and be Gundy. quarterback i think yeah. it might be gundy rod because i know you threw him under the bus after no, the Texas Oklahoma gundy. state game but he's the further away he gets from that game even you listen to like his big 12 teleconference or his press conference like yeah. he's mad at himself that his plan wasn't good enough against texas i i think he should be and yes. i think he is and he's got considering the talent he's got and he's like damn i actually do have both of these guys might end up being early round draft picks that i have but even against case uh, no quarterback like i mean the gundy, even against k-state game. they weren't good in the red zone they yeah. for field goals. Yeah. It was almost just like he, but he woke up hungover with the game plan and just showed up and well, let's go run the ball. <laughs> I, I, heard, I caught him on the Big Twelve on the Big Twelve call this week and he said he felt like their plan against K State was good in the red zone. They just didn't execute. He felt like they just had a terrible red zone plan against Texas. Yeah. But they needed against K State didn't matter because they got explosive plays, right? Right. And against Texas, what do we point out? Yes, they got some explosive plays, but none of them resulted directly in a touchdown. Texas always held them. And then forced them to work the hard way to get into the end zone, and they weren't able to do it consistently yeah, enough in the red zone. It's interesting you mentioned that. You know, hearing you know, Mike, somebody asked him about explosive plays. Why aren't you getting the explosive plays? And he kind of said the same thing. I don't know if you caught Deshaun Watson's comments after the Texans. Uh, yeah, Texas yeah, yeah. Lost when the he Panthers, broke down the he's cover breaking four. down cover four yeah. and why you know you you don't get deep shots. Mike Gundy kind of said the same thing. He's like, look, I mean, they got good coaches too. They got guys on scholarship. I mean, if they've got these really good schemes and they execute them well, then you've got to kind of just take what the defense gives you at some point. Very true. Very true. And that's what Deshaun didn't do. We're not going to get into that, but he admitted right. it. I'm sure there's plenty of time for that on the broadcast weekdays uh, on 104 on the Horn. Same as luck. One to three. Yeah. Um, but So as we start looking at Texas, Rod, what I was going to say seemed like 10 minutes ago, what this weekend kind of did for me is it validated this really is a two-team league. It's, it's a really, two-team league. Sort of Texas and Oklahoma at this yeah, point. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And after that, it'll be a really interesting discussion because I think there are probably, what, four teams right now, hell, maybe even five, depending on where we get in the season, that you could legitimately make a, uh, an argument that, oh, no, that's the third-best team in the Big 12. And, and, and <laughs> Texas is getting to the point where, and I think we, this is what you really took out of that Oklahoma State game, Texas is getting back to the point where they're so talented and they do so many things well that – 
even if you do just completely boo-boo all over yourself in one phase of the game, you can still win. Uh, yeah, I mean, we saw that it versus Oklahoma State. I mean, they uh, special teams basically became inept at the <laughs> at the most inopportune times, and then boom, almost gave the game back to Oklahoma State. But you got Sam Ellinger. You have, you know, I said you basically had a lot of different guys step up, and we talked about the captains on this team, and I'll give the captains a ton of credit. I know Brandon Jones had his issue. Uh, but, you know, the Malcolm Roach who, you know, was up and down the sideline saying, hey, man, let's do it for us. Let's do it for let's do it. This is our team. Let's do it for us. Yeah. You know, that's that moment where the, the players take ownership of the team. And Sam Ellinger's like, no, nah, I'm not going to let our guys lose. We're going to find a way to win. So I thought it was a, a step in the right direction for that team. You just – and I think against this, you know, West Virginia team, and we'll get into it here uh, in just a second, but that's the natural adversity, right? Go on the road. Hostile environment. Tom Herman even said it. First time some of these guys are going to go on a plane to, uh, to you know, to uh, to play a football game. You know, it, it, it becomes a distraction when you let it, but it's hard not to because you're immersed in it. You're immersed in West Virginia, and yeah, they're going to be you know changes everything. Changes everything. So some guys going to let that get in their head, but thankfully, I think you do have transcendent leadership on this team. I think you do have guys that will uh, keep the team focused, you know what I mean? And they'll be able to police the team and go, no, 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 we got this. We'll set the tone. Obviously, that starts with Sam Ellinger. I love what Tom Herman said this week about that, Rod, and you can attest to this as a as a player having been in that position as a veteran leader on a team. He talked about, you know, road environment and things like that. He said if you're a mature team, he didn't say that, he indicated that if you're a mature team, that stuff only becomes a factor if you allow it to be. Exactly. You got enough leaders to kind of dispel whatever uh, mojo, negative mojo that yeah. that could uh, go against you. And the young guys, I think when I was younger, I think I did get affected by it. even. It's not always negative. It's all, sometimes it's like, man, I've never done this before. This is really cool. You're just yeah. distracted by you're now on a business trip. You takes you out of your normal. It takes routine, you out of though. your normal routine, all that kind of stuff. And I think the younger guys, they may have, and you're gonna need some of those younger guys to step up. But you got Duvernays and you got Sam Ellingers, and on that O line, you got veterans like Shackleford. I, that's why I, I have faith that those guys will set the tone. So even if some and something wacky and weird will happen on road trips, they always yeah. do. And that adversity, which that ultimately is what it is. You know, you got that's what you got your captain. Hot water in the hotel, whatever the hell, exactly. Yeah, fire alarm will go. I don't know something weird. Whether even on the field, I'm talking about on the field and off field. Something it's just, it's just things you cannot you cannot plan for will happen, and that's adversity. But that's just meant to distract your team. You can't let it distract you. Yeah, I uh, you know the te- it's interesting to hear these players talk about taking the next step in terms of playing to a standard and. Yep. Uh, again, you guys know my playing experience doesn't go past high school, but I, I went to a high school where we were really bad. Like my sophomore year, we won one game, and then had a coaching change, and uh, we ended up making the playoffs my senior year. And, and in that process, I remember one of the things our head coach drove home to us. Greg Carter is now an assistant at Vista Ridge here in the Austin area. Um, drove home to us, and we really started to believe it by the end. He's like, "Look, you guys have to just look at every week like a nameless, faceless opponent. Like, quit worrying about." who that other team is, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter where you play. Go out and play them in the dang parking lot. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter. If you take care of your business and you prepare the right way, it shouldn't matter who you're playing on Friday. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's where this Texas team is getting to, Rod. They're getting to the point where, you know what, it really stop worrying about going to Morgantown and yep. what kind of spread offense are you facing. Like, if you take care of business during the week, 
you're at the point of the program now where it's not re- outside of one or two times a year where you play in LSU or in Oklahoma, it's really, if you do what you need to do, it's really not going to matter on Saturday. Yeah, and that's about the culture you're building, right? Tom Herman's uh, quote that I love is, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. Yeah. So, it, you know, we don't give a damn about what the strategy is or what the situation is, that if the culture is right that we built going into it, we will we will ultimately overcome and we will we will be victorious. I, so I, I totally agree. This is that's part of the culture. And going to West Virginia, this is a this is not a bad West Virginia team. It's not a good West Virginia team. They're yeah. just you know what I mean. Like I, they're not bad. They're not good. I don't really know what the. T- I mean, maybe they're average. They're happy to be three and one. They think they're three wins away from a bowl team, and they're like, that's I can West, right now, West Virginia. Yeah, they're like. Hell, man, we didn't think we'd be here. This is pretty yeah. damn good. So if you're Texas, you go there and take care of business. Show them that they're an average to below average team or show them they're below average. But but don't let them at all think they're on your level because right. you're supposed to be, as you pointed out, at a different standard. And that's the main thing with Texas this year and what you've sort of seen from the results this year was Texas has sort of played their game without worrying about the opponent. Now, you want to be familiar with what you're up against and know your opponent or whatever scheme or whatever you're facing on a week-to-week basis. But when Texas is good – Texas goes out and executes and runs their offense and defense the way Texas does. And if we look back around when has Texas struggled this year, it was in the first half of the LSU game when Devin DuVernay had one touch. Colin Johnson didn't touch the ball. Sam Ellinger wasn't productive. LSU was Mm -hmm. making you not be Texas. They were funneling the ball to all of your fourth, fifth, and sixth best options, which is the only time Texas really hasn't been able to go out and do what they've wanted to do. And that's been the good thing about Texas. Is that we've seen Texas throughout the entirety of the season, even within that game, quickly in one halftime, sort of switch that around, find themselves, and go out and just worry about being Texas because you're at that point where we already talked about it with talent and with scheme. That if you go do that, you're going to win most games if you play okay. Now just go out there and focus on what your job is. I think that is the the leaders. In- to me, that's, that's directly that's Ellinger. That's able to reset, right? Mm-hmm. Just gets, you know you're you're headed down a bad path. You're you're in the quicksand where the, you fight harder, you fight the, the deeper you sink in. You're able to reset mentally, mm-hmm. and you're able to again reset the rest of your guys. I think that Sam he yeah. does it because I've seen Hell, him he do does it. it I've seen him on, yeah, I've seen him like real time do it during a game, like mm-hmm. start off the Big Twelve title game, overthrowing guys. I mean, I've seen him kind of he can reset himself. It's pretty amazing because I remember guys who couldn't do that. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, my man Chris Sims was getting quicksand and then. You know, maybe it'd be done from then. It's almost so, good to be that meathead that yeah. just one play, so, move on to the next one. Yeah, and I th- I've seen now on the D-line, honestly, I'll give Malcolm Roach a lot of credit for it. Um, and you give guys like Taquan Graham and Kendrick Coburn is an old soul, so he's he's mm-hmm. older than his years. I know he's just only a redshirt freshman, but, you know, they got they got some good leadership up there. I think those guys yeah. have kind of reset Even things. Even Duvernay seems like that type of guy that he's just yeah. had that accountability. And, all, and the offensive guy. line. The offensive line's been – so I think those those are things that will travel to West Virginia. We got the, what travels West Virginia? There's some things that I I don't know if the secondary is going to travel. I ain't going to lie to you. I have no idea. Secondary <laughs> may travel, may You're not. You're not alone I'm, in that line of thinking, Rock. Yeah, I know. I love DBU. <laughs> y'all represent it, but I, I ain't going to say they're going to travel. I'll tell you things that will travel. Sam Ellinger is going to travel. That old line's going to travel, which means the running game should travel. Yeah, I'm the not, short passing game should travel. Devin Duvernay is going to travel. Devin Duvernay is Focus good. your usage you know, around these you know things. What I mean? If your game plan yeah, wise, that's and smart. I think that D line's going to travel. I think I'm, I like that D line now. Honestly, Joseph Asai, I think he's going to travel. You know what I mean? I mean Brandon Jones, I'm pretty that's sure in the secondary is going to travel. Around. And you and that, exactly, you build around those things like you know that's that will stability. go on the road. Yes, and they still will play at a certain kind of baseline of performance. It's interesting you mentioned 
mentioned Joseph Osai in there because he's in my yeah, he yeah, travels yeah. Back, even with the injury now. You know, yeah, he's like expected to perform ahead of schedule. <laughs> I mean, like that dude, right. all he's done is exceed expectations Linebacker, every time, even when they get hired. Linebacker was one of those positions that we talked all offseason that we were worried about. Now we look at Joseph Osai. Almost look at him as more of a proven commodity than Jeff McCulloch in a lot of ways. And we do. Honestly, I'm disrespecting sure, Jeff McCulloch too. I should say no, the, but that's just how good size Yeah, because he's been solid too. Jeff yeah. McCulloch's been solid. I don't mean to mean. I don't mean to uh, insinuate he's not been solid. He's been solid. He's been. He's been. He's been more solid than actually I thought he would be. Jeff McCulloch's been pretty good. But like Joseph Osai's giving you not just that baseline, right? He he's giving a, you the, the splash oh plays. Worth yes. pointing out right there. Whether he's we a just pass did, rusher or whether he's dropping back and coming. And we just admitted that the two linebackers consistently are exceeding our expectations. That's big if you were to come into the preseason wondering yeah. where's this defense going to be. And well, then you're like, oh, yeah. wait, they're going to exceed expectations? Ooh, you might have a good defense. Totally agree. Actually, now if you throw that in there with the D-line performing <laughs> the last two games. Come on, secondary. Seven, yeah, you're kind of just waiting on the second. And the secondary is dealing with a lot of injuries. Yep. All right, to, to key guys, J, you know Jalen Green and Kane Stearns, and we talked about it's that. Crazy nauseam. to think that. Um, yeah, but BJ Foster, you're expecting to get him back, but you're right. I mean, that's we thought that secondary would end up being the strength. Right now, yeah. that front seven is what you lean on. That you know the rush defense at front seven, what they did versus Oklahoma State now looks like right. it only that was trends a better performance. good, man. That only trends good because you would expect I'm at least oh, secondary. Even, even LSU didn't. No. You know they didn't kill Texas that in the running game. They killed Texas, Texas in the passing trenches, game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you t- when you talk about though, Rod, what travels and what doesn't, I think you can even break it down simpler than you did. Veteran quarterback Sam Ellinger at this point in his career, even even like his air quotes bad games are still good. Yeah, I at know. this point, yeah, I agree. And with that. so you 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 can count on him. But if you're really good along the line of scrimmage, that's going to travel. And mm-hmm. another thing, watching the conference this week, guys. I don't think it's a stretch to say Texas is the best line of scrimmage team in the Big 12 right now. No, I agree. I haven't seen enough of all the Big 12. Uh, but but you can I'm, make the no, argument. No, no, no. You definitely can make no. the argument. I, but in terms of both the pass blocking and run blocking, I think you have a re- – because I'm sure Oklahoma's in a discussion. Well, he's talking right? D-line too, both um, lines. Yeah, and I know that uh, K-State actually has a really K-State's good, got a really good offensive good line. Good offensive and line. And their defensive I mean, front's pretty good too. Um, yeah, and so I'm just thinking about team, but I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, you, you're probably right about that. I mean, that's – in terms of both run blocking and pass blocking – I don't know if there's an offensive line that I take above Texas right now, and that includes Oklahoma, which I know is performing at a real high and level. And then if you add in the D-line to where we're talking line of scrimmages, then Texas, I think, clearly is ahead of anyone else. Yeah. You mentioned Oklahoma's offensive line, Rod, and we'll talk a lot about that offensive line on next week's show. No question. Obviously. But that's a line. You know, Lincoln Riley's even talked about he needs more consistent play out of that offensive line. And Bill Biedenbaugh's a really good offensive line coach, mm-hmm. one of the best in the country. And it's Oklahoma. They got talent. You know they're going to figure it out. But yeah. I just don't – I don't think – it's really weird to say this. I don't think they're at the point as a unit where Texas is right now. And Texas, in that regard, as we talked about, they're ahead of schedule. I didn't think – I thought maybe by this point we would start to see a, a semblance of, okay, they're getting it together. Yeah. But I didn't think we would come out of that LSU game saying, man, <laughs> O-line held up really well. Yeah, no, I agree with you. That means it's a strength. It's a strength of the team. Yeah. If you list the five strengths of the team, the O-line is up there in the top three right yeah. now. That's where I want to go next. And I, I had a column on the site last week during the bye week of kind of what we know, what we don't know about Texas. I read that. It was well done. Through the first Good four games. Out. Thank yeah. you, Rod. So, Rod, you, heard, you read my column. You heard Tom Herman said on Monday in his press conference about what he feels good about, what he's still kind of worried about. He mm-hmm. said the things he feels good about, some stuff we talked about, run defense, 
the fact that basically, in a nutshell, he's got Sam Ellinger. And then uh, areas where he'd like to see things get better. He mentioned pass defense, whether man or zone, cover better on the back end, uh, and then a little more consistency out of the run game. So before we get into that stuff, Rod, what what do you feel? Matt, obviously you feel chime in as well. What do you feel like you know about this Texas team right now? What do you feel like, yeah, we still really don't know? Um, We know that Sam Ellinger is the real deal. We know the offensive line is strength. We know Devin Duvernay is a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a he's a horror show matchup for anybody. I mean, like I said, I I, I had the thought experiment on on our on the broadcast. You know, give me an NFL comparison to Devin Duvernay. You know, five eleven runs at ten three, but breaks tackles like a running back. And we had some great ones. People put out there, you know, Randall Cobb and. People put out their uh, Golden Tate, which was a really good one. And all those are great, but all those, those guys run a 10-3. They don't have world-class speed. The best one I got, honestly, was Steve Smith, <laughs> yeah. um, which it, which I thought was pretty good. I thought I was like, Steve Smith's pretty good because mm-hmm. I remember running screens. He was a track star coming out of high school. But Devin Duvernay is a freak, man. Ain't, he's going to go to the combine, the and they're going to fall in love with him. So he's the real deal. We know about him. Those three things on offense, I think we I, – I know. What I don't know is, is Keontae Ingram going to be consistently what he was last last game with the brace off? If that is going to be the case, holy Chicago, we got something going. Right. All right? I don't know a damn thing about the tight ends, really. I don't know a damn thing about the tight ends. I don't. I mean, I know Cade Brewer's a starting tight end, but – I don't know if they're I don't know if they're five two tight ends. I don't know what they do really really well. Kind of like you mentioned, you talk about West Virginia at the top, Rod. The tight ends aren't great, but I don't know that they're bad either. No, exactly. Like, just, I don't exactly. I, I, I don't know. Kind of there. That's they cool. can play all you know the I mean? snaps, and you really yeah. can go without noticing them unless they make a mistake. Yeah. I don't know if Brandon Eagles can run anything other than. A nine route, but that's his job. What, is, what if he's doing right now is working? So I'm just saying, I, what I don't know, I don't know that. Um, okay, I think that's good on offense for I now. I think uh, we have a really good replacement for Duvernay and Jake Smith. Is like he could be a he feature should, p- part of the offense. People were saying the same thing about Colin Johnson at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he can run any of the other kind of route. And we were saying the same thing about Devin Duvernay. I remember that conversation. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I totally agree with you. Yeah, Jake that. Smith's um, the type of guy that I think he could be a super weapon to pull out in one of those games that when we're talking about bringing something that Texas's opponents haven't seen yet, but within the current framework of the offense, it's such a yeah. relief to have. If you say we're to lose a Duvernay, I really don't think – now, you would have a drop-off. Oh, he yeah, wouldn't have broken tackles, but the way that this offense He's would be ran in the confidence – He's a different kind of H. But All inside, the H's are different. The, but if you're looking yeah. at how the play calling would go, how the offense would operate, oh, it still, would stay okay. identical. Which totally is agree. a very valuable thing to have that you can lose your top weapon and say not change a thing about your offense. Now your performance may not be that good, but that just shows how stabilized and how niche these pieces are. That Texas has a is able to build that depth at that type of position when it's highly I, valued. I will say I truly believe though it was out of necessity. I mean, when you think about the H position and where we've watched it evolve here at Texas, and even going back to like the research that Jeff did it with it at U of mm-hmm. H and everything. It, it truly it, it, it does kind of evolve into whatever the offense needs it to be. Like I, last year, it was a vertical position mm-hmm. where Little Jordan Humphrey would go downfield and he was a threat downfield. But because they had Sam Ellinger more as a running threat, and they also had Ke- you know Keontae Ingram, they had more guys. I mean, I, for some reason, they had a, a more effective running game where they believed in it more. 
Um, now they believe more in the passing game as an extension of the running game, maybe because they had running back injuries early on. Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting to see like Devin Duvernay. They haven't used them as a vertical threat just yet. Jake Smith is more of a but vertical they've threat used him as the that targets. possession threat though. He is the way, a possession threat. No, 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 that'll LJ, keep the yeah, chains yeah, yeah. moving. I, I'm talking, but Not, it's more of an extension of the running game, way more than LJ ever was. Yeah, exactly. You know, LJ was. We, we agree had a versatile skill set. Yeah, and LJ yeah. was one that we sort of used at times if needed, if the matchup would be there for that running game on the outside. But he was that more guy targeted yeah. ten yards downfield, which is where but you see body, it's so amazing yeah. to see Duvernay's numbers without drops, his catch rate because he was a down the field type of guy. And then this year, you see just being used as that all around weapon that if you need to on a fourth and 12 yeah. who is getting targeted it's Duvernay because he never drops the ball and Ellinger can fit it right inside the oh, hip okay. that safety coming down it's impressive that, that H position is like Batman you remember the end of the dark night where him and Commissioner Gordon are talking and Harvey Dent's dead and He's like, I'll take the blame for it. And Commissioner Gordon's like, no, you don't need to do that. And he's like, you need to be our hero. He's like, I'm whatever Gotham needs me to be. Exactly. Well, the H is, is, the H is gr- whatever Tom Herman needs it to be. I, t- I totally agree with you, 100%. You like that? I just. I uh, love that. That is fantastic. I'm going to steal that for the show and use. I'm going to give you credit, but I'm going to use that for the uh, show. The it's Ohio beautiful. State-Nebraska game got so bad that I realized The Dark Knight was on TNT. So that's, <laughs> that's what I watched. It. Oh, it's always My daughter and I watched out. The Dark Knight instead of uh, the end of the fantastic. Nebraska-Ohio State game. Love it, you, uh, introducing her to great uh, cinema. Early on, it's not bad life. for a twenty-month-old to get her get her integrated into. Oh, uh, it's great! Into, into that DC universe, um, sensory overload. But right. uh, what we what we do know in defense, real quick, uh, defensive line is is legit. Uh, the linebackers now with Joseph Osai playing as well as he has, they are now strength front seven now a strength. Ironically, we don't know what we have in the back end with the defensive backs. I know Brandon Jones can play, but the rest of them, because of injuries, everybody everybody else has been inconsistent. Um, so we don't know what we have. Honestly, at like five of the six other de- – you know what? Chris Brown has been a pleasant surprise. I'll say that. Yeah. So it's safety, even though you've been really deep, you haven't been as impactful, but you still have a ton of talent because Chris Brown was like your – Fourth safety when you start the yeah, season, you know Chris. You know Chris Brown at this point so, is a yeah. starting caliber player. I agree. So yeah, Chris Brown and, and Brandon Jones in the secondary probably been your most consistent guys in the I, secondary. I would say defensively, you don't know how deep you are on the D line yet. Like remember last year, like we two, we figured out like okay, they're pretty. They can go like seven, eight guys deep. I still don't think we know. How yeah, you got Ojemo on the uh, and that comes in. Devontae Sweat played a little bit, and you can um, see a little Jacoby yeah, Jones. You're right. Marcus Bimmage might be the guy right that's played the most out of that's those. A great point. Are you, are those you four and deep or are you six deep? That's a good way. Uh, on I the don't D-line. think they know yet. Okay, I agree with you on that. Yeah. That's good. Matt, you were you going to say something? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I just started to think about uh, special teams, too. Is like Because the end of last um, game, I think, has distorted our view of special teams because the muffs are no good. But if you look overall, like Texas, it seemed like for a decade it was – Special teams have became such a plague that it just you didn't expect anything. Like you had long ball Dixon, and that was about it. But yeah, from the kicker woes to kick return team to kick coverage, just okay. had nothing. And you've had solid performances across the board, and just the improvements under Herman that now you feel as if you're sound in all your special teams forms. Like right now, if you look Texas, like this week, the one of the biggest differences right now, it looks like a, an S&P plus seventh in the nation special teams, fourth in the nation on offense. It's like your defense, your middle of the road, you're like a big 12 defense. Like yeah. you have West Virginia's 55, Texas is 61. You're going to find all the defenses in there. But where are you separating? Well, if you're a top five, top ten in two offense in special teams, yeah. that's fine. And 
Herman is sort of shored up because there are a lot That's of aspects point. of it from field goal kicking to just turn or uh, being able to flip Covering the field. Kicks, yeah. Exactly. And then to be able to actually have some explosiveness in your return game and then not be so worried about giving back half the field whenever you get a score. That's big. And Texas getting seven instead of three most of the time really is something that even makes you feel more confident in your kicking game. I agree. Yeah. That's a great point. Special teams, real quick, you know, with Ryan Bushevsky. He's developing into a good punter. It's just you almost take it for granted because Michael Dixon was the best ever. So good while he was here. He and you got early. so used to seeing that. And frankly, in his career, the offense did give him the opportunity to punt a lot, a lot. while he was here. Yeah, but he was yeah, amazing when he did it. Yeah. He was and a bowl game MVP. You just <laughs> for me it's just re- really kind of recalibrating things in my brain. Like, oh, not everybody's got the punter that can boom at sixty yards and flip the field every time. It's my so. Beyonce Kelly Rowling thing. Kelly Rowling was beautiful and very talented, yeah. but she wasn't Beyonce. So right. people don't really take appreciate her beauty or and her talent. I remember how talented and beautiful she was. I do because I had shot and I screwed it up. But my point is, Beyonce is you know Beyonce. Rod, for, can, for our newer long ball Dixon is Beyonce. for our newer listeners on the show. Would you like to rehash that that tale from back in the day, real quick? Uh, well, Kelly Rowland before she made it big with Destiny Child, she went to Lamar High School as a freshman. Um, we were friends at the time, and um, she left to go to Hollywood to pursue uh, the her career as an artist with Destiny Child with her group. And we were supposed to keep in touch. We weren't like I don't know. We were like dating. Like we weren't girlfriend and boyfriend at the time, but we were we were friends. I got I, I got a chance. I, I got I got a, You hollered at her. Uh, listen, it was it could have happened. I think if I would have just you know pursued her, but I was an idiot and I didn't really uh, pursue her. And la- the next time I had seen her. Um, was she was on TV on MTV actually, music video yeah right. music video and I was like that's Kelly that's Kelly Rowland damn I was, I, like, I was supposed to call damn, her damn I was supposed to call yeah. her and he's like man that's no, six months damn it yes. <laughs> but, like, guys you push it off don't push it off just make but that call I was call. a freshman in high school dude yeah, yeah. You know much you know yeah. I, what, what you were thinking about in high school like no. you were thinking about what's in front of and you now and she's on a, MTV. And now she's on NC. I couldn't be. I wasn't thinking of that far ahead. You know, you, had to think so. about I mean, that you long, really couldn't that long predict distance that phone one. bill too, Dude, Rod. That's true. Back then, yeah, yeah. man, that's big. Back then, I, didn't, I wasn't paying you to build. We didn't have smartphones back then. <laughs> exactly. Hell, I remember we barely had cell phones. The U went down for like violations. They I mean, had yeah. a. It was a scandal where right? it was long distance. Like that was big in recruiting. It was, it was free long distance. You phone cards. People like cheat you and oh, give you phone cards because you can you can call for free or long no, distance. schools were getting busted. I remember that actually during recruiting because I would always get a phone card on my Free recruiting visit I, so I could call my girlfriend and call my parents on the phone card. Damn. Man, I don't want to say I'm when I'm old. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hilarious. Like, it was a violation to call home. I remember when I went to my Texas-California All-Star game, I took quarter a bunch of quarters with me <laughs> and a phone card so that I could call my girlfriend on the on the, on the phone. Yep. Like, literally, my senior year. If there's a silver line wow. in the Kelly Rowland story, though, Rod, it's that you did see her at the Super Bowl in Houston a few I years did. ago. I did. Uh, when I was in, when I was playing for the Lions, actually, I did see her there. She was actually at a Super Bowl party uh, when the Super Bowl was and in this Houston. This was after Destiny's Child was yeah. Like this the one biggest, had blown up and everything. Music, music yeah, this was the world. Super Bowl in Houston. So when was like that? Oh three, oh four, oh three season. The yeah, yeah, uh, Panthers, yeah, yeah. Patriots, and uh, yeah, I saw her at a party, and boom, she remembered who I was. So we caught up and said, "What's up?" That's when she was either dating or married to Roy Williams. What'd she call they, you they when she saw dating. you? I don't know if they were even dating they at dating. the time. But she was the with Roy Williams already. The old you Roy The evil Roy Williams. Yeah, and Beyonce <laughs> was there too. Got a chance to, you know, say what's and up to Beyonce. And weren't her first words yeah. to you, Kool-Aid? 
It was Kool Aid. She, well, that's what she knew me as Kool Aid back in the day. Uh, that's actually yeah. anybody that was around Rod in the '40s. That's what they remember Rod as. I know, like, it's I weird. know Tim Brewster's son Clint. Like always asked me, "How's Kool Aid doing?" Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah and Coach smiling. Bruce always brings up Kool Aid. Coach Aquino always will bring it up every now and then too. Yeah. How does that sound when he brings it up? Ah, Kool Aid. No, no, no. I hate Kool Aid. Ah. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get into West Virginia real quick. Um, you know, Rod, before you got here, Matt and I were talking, and I said, Matt, anything on SP Plus stand out about West Virginia? And he was like, no, not really. Um, yeah. Their like special we, teams suck. They're 101. Like I, said, I think their offense is pretty bad, too. Yeah. They're, they're just figuring out things on offense. This that, is yeah. a total rebuild for, for Neil Brown. And I think Neil but Brown. But I like Neil Brown. I think he's a hell of a coach. Yeah, I'm going to say I like Neil Brown. Uh, you know, he came up in the air raid with, with Hal Mummy and Mike Leach, but he's not an air quotes air no. raid guy. It's basically, I think they describe it as, I've heard it described because it's not my term, an air raid remix. And it's like a, it's a more moderate uh, version, holistic, balanced version of the air raid. Hybrid spread is Hybrid, you can that throw I've that out heard, there too. Yeah, throwing around. Uh, Their but nickname that doesn't mean anything is they call it the NASCAR offense. Yeah, exactly. I don't know <laughs> what that means. Damn thing. <laughs> yeah. that mean? But yeah. Rod, they uh, you know, right now West Virginia is just pretty much uh, just kind of you don't want to say a bland eleven personnel spread offense, but they're kind of a bland eleven personnel <laughs> spread offense. Yeah, no, I agree with you. There's nothing that is um, unique necessarily or. I mean, basically that that threat that is a big threat on the offense. I think they do have a, a really good receiver, Sam Sam James, I believe is his yes. name. He's a good player on offense. But other than that, they everybody's pretty average. I hate to call it, that sounds like an insult, and that is not at all. But it's pretty much kind of an average offense that's finding their way. For the first two games of the season, they were averaging like one point three yards per carry. They yeah. just corrected that in the last two games, and now they're averaging like three point five yards per carry around there. I mean, there's nothing really spectacular spectacular about it Austin Kendall is a you know he's an okay quarterback I think he's got what six touchdowns three interceptions but there's nothing special about Austin Kendall either they're back <laughs> Kennedy McCoy uh, out of the backfield as a receiver is like at the safety valve that at least like that's something it's, that yeah. Texas has had issues with in the past previous regimes but as a Texas fan you have the trauma of thinking about that and they actually like throwing to McCoy but that's about all they do that that's you can point. look at that could maybe be problematic and, and you know, their running back stable is pretty solid. Uh, you know, Martel Petaway is, is healthy. He he was banged up earlier in the year. And uh, Letty Brown's a guy that's been around for a little bit. And obviously, you know, it seems like, gosh, it seems like Kennedy McCoy's been, been there, there forever. forever. I, know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like, damn, he's still there? That's uh, why I was like, what? Yeah, so they've, got, so they've got a pretty solid stable of backs. But, Rod, I think their personnel, I mean, they, you know, you mentioned Sam James, who I think was like 9 for 155 yeah. against uh, NC State. No, no, he's a, he's a good player. Like, he's, I mean, he's. Was about six foot, probably about 180, 190. Like, he's a good player. But, you know, you know uh, yeah. Neil Brown's trying to get basically Dana Holgerson. This is the byproduct you get of when you load up on like grad transfers and mm-hmm. late year, late term transfers and Juco guys. Uh, Neil Brown's having to kind of just mesh this thing together with uh, really a bunch of transfers. Sean Ryan's a transfer from Temple. TJ Simmons is a transfer from Alabama. George Campbell's a transfer from Florida State. So, uh, yeah. Austin Kendall from Oklahoma. Like, it's just a lot of just kind of strange parts that are coming together in yeah. this first year. And it almost sounds like, like I think, and going back to Big 12 media days, it's like hearing from Neil Brown, it sounded like this is a coach that understands this is going to be a rebuilding year. Uh, they've got some young guys in this program they're excited about, but 
really this year, with all due respect to the upperclassmen, it's really about getting the young guys ingrained with your culture and, and getting something established so that way maybe in 2019 you can you can put a better product on the field. I totally agree. But I, I will say this. I do like some of the players they have on defense. Oh, they're front sevens. I think they got – I think on defense, and they've been – they've had spurts if you go back and watch some games where they, they kind of – they dominate basically on defense for spurts, but they're, they're inconsistent. They can't put it together for six, for 60 minutes. But at Vic Koenig, I believe is his name, the defensive coordinator. Is, that yeah. Vic, is it Vic Koenig or Koenig? Is it Koenig? Um, I like his scheme. His scheme is basically kind of what Gary Patterson tries to do at TCU – you know, kind of what you know. I mean, he runs a three-three-five or a four-two-five a lot of the times, and he's just trying to. Oh, and they got cool names for their positions too. Yes, they do. Oh, I love those. They spear safety. Their hybrid, their hybrid outside linebacker is the bandits. Yeah, they got the bandit. They got the, a cat. A cat. A cat. <laughs> yeah. And, and yes, spear. spear. This is yeah, good marketing they, and recruiting. No, I, I, like, I, I agree. I, with you. It totally is just marketing and recruiting. I think the cat is with the field safety, right? And the spear. Um, safety. He's the outside linebacker hybrid. Uh, yep. and he's to the field too. He's a safety hybrid outside linebacker guy. And then there's the uh, what am I missing here? There's the bandit. bandit. And the bandit is the uh, is that the DN outside yes. linebacker hybrid? Okay. So, but they haven't gotten a lot from the Bandit apparently so far. No, but they're, but they're getting now a a suspended player. The back. guy to watch yeah. is going to be Vondarius Cowan, the Alabama yeah. transfer, who yeah. Neil Brown transfer. Neil Brown said this week he is going to play. Uh, probably most of his reps are going to come at Bandit. Uh, yeah, it didn't sound like at least earlier in the week they knew kind of how much mm-hmm. he was going to play. But Vondarius Cowan's the guy that you're going to want to watch at that hybrid outside linebacker position. I mean, they're second in the Big Twelve already in sacks. Yeah, 11 yeah. sacks. And it's the Steels brothers. Yes. I like the Steels brothers. I didn't know they were hey, brothers. Another one. Dude, they, they – and now the others, it, it, Steels – Dante and Darius. It's Dante and Darius. Dude, they, I think they got seven sacks between them. Oh, wow. They, no, they're legit, dude. Yeah. They're ballers. They're from – are they from West Virginia? I'm going to say they're like from West Virginia yes. too. Fairmont, dude, Fairmont, West Virginia. Dude, they're legit, man. Yeah. They're legit. They, they jump off the screen, both of them. One, I think, is a sophomore. Maybe the other one's a junior. They're good players. They're yeah. they're good players no. on that D line. Uh, Matt, what'd you say West Watch Virginia is an SP plus defensively, like in the fifties? Uh fifty five. Texas well, is sixty one. Not terrible. Just yeah. no. solid. Uh their front's really good. This will be a really good challenge, I think, for the Texas offensive line. And Tom Herman's talked about how they'll move around and create some they different do. angles for your line yeah. and, and do some different things. But Rod, the thing about West Virginia defensively though They're undersized. They're they're so bad on the back end though that I don't know how much it's really going to matter at the end of the day unless unless Texas gets in a situation where they just can't run the football uh I don't think it's going to really matter all that much they do have I would say a lot of, uh, it may not be good experience but there's a lot of experience on the back end I mean they got was well, they got like three seniors back there playing a ton because he plays a lot of DBs uh Canning plays a ton of DBs so I like I would say Keith Washington has been a pleasant surprise he's a corner for them and he's pretty solid. He's got two picks already, had two picks all of last year. He's been a pleasant surprise for him. He must be a transfer, too, because he's a senior already, I believe, and he only has two years with West Virginia. i got to do back in research. I, I think he must Which be. Which one? What was his name? Keith Washington. Yeah, he was on the team last Yeah, he was year. a Juco guy. He's a Juco guy that came mm-hmm. in 20, 2018. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they got – okay, I'm just trying to figure out where these guys are coming from. Because they're all a lot of them come from big name programs, so you know they had high ceilings. Yeah, they've got players. multiple transfers from Alabama, like I said, Temple transfer, Florida State, yeah. George Campbell, Austin Kendall's from Oklahoma. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So they got some talent. So I like him. Also, they they must use their they must use a boundary in a field corner. So I'm sure they do, and they must use their cornerbacks in a running game a ton. I think the Hakeem was the Hakeem Bailey. He's second yeah. on the team in tackles. 
at cornerback? Or he's just getting lit up all the time. I haven't <laughs> I yeah. go back and watch the film. Right? Is he last year him and Bailey together, they had seventy tackles, so they were highly so involved. They usually, but that sort of comes down to your the usage scheme. Yeah, you I think so. He, yeah, this, well, this is a different scheme too. And funnel the run out. Yeah, this is a different scheme though, too. Yeah, weird so. so I wonder if he's watching the film from last year and just using them more in the run or they game because they're tackles. so aggressive. Or they don't miss tackles. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's kinda Neil Brown's kind of in the situation that, uh, and I wonder if he's getting to this point, because you know he wants to run the football, and they were really good running the football against yeah. NC State and against Kansas. But I wonder if at some point, you know, I, I go back to Matt Rule's first year at Baylor and, and when they tried to really mm-hmm. run more of a kind of a power spread type that. offense that just didn't work. And he they didn't were have like, the you know what, let's it. just spread it out more, go to kind of their version of what the veer and shoot was, and, and Baylor started moving the ball and scoring points. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if Neil Brown at some point has to do that, but it, it, the, the catch for him is it seems like to me their best talent on offense is at running back, and I just don't know how good Austin Kendall really is. They've made some adjustments in the running game, though. They have the last two games. They have made some adjustments in the running game. And I do think that he still wants to run the football, man. He wants to be a balanced spread attack, as you call that, a hybrid spread. So they're going to try to establish the run. There's no question about it. They won't be able to do it against Texas. There is no way in hell I think they're going to be able to run the ball. I don't think so either. I think that's that's where their downfall is. Yeah, I think ultimately they're going to end up being a one-dimensional team and one-dimensional against Texas. The DBs, I think, can hold up against their wide receivers. I don't think they have enough threats. I think they'll double Sam James when they have to. Yeah, it's you know it's I mean? one of those deals, Rod. You know, the only way I think West Virginia is in the game is just if Texas, I think if they've just got bad run fits or there's just some kind of overload look or, or unbalanced line or something that just Texas wasn't ready for. Yeah, I do like what Matt said, though, about Kennedy McCoy being involved in the in the passing game. It forced those linebackers to cover, too, and yeah. I think that's what they may do for Texas. Or, you know, force those defensive backs, which you are already you kind of light on the DBs, force those those young DBs to get out there and cover yeah, the la- running back. It was last year, McCoy only had 17 receptions. He's already had 16 this year. Now, yeah. he, not nearly as many yards per reception, but his usage out there is something that they like to do more. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's going to do it for a breakdown of West Virginia. Let's go ahead and bring Mike Roach in to talk some recruiting, and then we'll come back and make some picks. All right, it is that time on the Blitz where we go to Tarrant County, America, right outside of Fort Worth in Crowley, Texas. Horns 24-7 recruiting editor Mike Roach joins us to talk a little recruiting. Mike, how's it going, man? It's been a minute since we've done this. Uh, Between technical issues and your travel schedule, we haven't had a chance to catch up, so I'm sure the people are looking forward to hearing about uh, some of your travels, your escapades across the country, across the state of Texas covering recruiting. Yeah, it's going great. I mean, uh, we're in full swing of the season. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm. I've got that feeling like I'm. You know, it's one of those. Uh, you, you know, when the season starts, you have a lot of excitement, but by this point, it's just kind of uh, okay. Where am I going this week again? And I'm just trying to make it and, and get through all of them. So, um, but still having a lot of fun doing it. So let's real quick. We got a couple questions that we didn't get to the last time we chopped it up that I think are still timely and still apply. So a couple things to get out of the way, and, and you guys could get a lot more from Mike, not just at Horns twenty four seven, not just on his Twitter account at Mike Roach twenty four seven, but the State of Recruiting podcast with Mike and Bobby Burton. That's going to get you wall to wall, nothing but recruiting. Uh, we'll just give you a little sample of it here on the Blitz with Mike. But Mike, everybody keeps asking about numbers in the twenty twenty class. Texas up to 20 verbal commitments now. We have not yet talked about the Troy O'Meara flip from Texas A&M. And 
when you look at that receiver position, I think you had some interesting stuff uh, in the Stampede on Monday kind of about where that receiver board sits right now. So not so much the Yomiri flip, because I know you and Bobby covered that, but what does that do to the receiver position going forward the rest of the way? Well, you know, there were some guys I thought it would probably count out. and It's just, um, you know, after talking to some people, it's not going to. Uh, Texas is, you know, very much in on uh, on Loic 5G, who I thought would have been kind of ruled out um, just by the way numbers were breaking down. But it looks like Texas might expand numbers just a little bit. Um, and uh, if that is the case, then... You know, I mean, I think what they'll do is is probably take from or, or what's the what's the saying is uh, to rob from Peter to play to pay Paul. Yeah, uh, they'll probably um, you know take less numbers at the position of twenty twenty one, which kind of makes sense. Twenty twenty one's a year that is is really heavy on slot talent, but not real heavy on on X and Z talent. They've already got a guy in Quay Davis in the class. And, I think could probably take one or two other guys and, and be happy in that class. But, um, you know, I, I, Loic Fungi is the guy that, that they're in on. They're still in on LB Bunkley Shelton. And then they've got a couple of guys behind the scenes who I, <clears throat> I'm not able to get into right now, but, um, you know, the, that they're still working on two, I guess, fairly big names on, uh, they would be known as on the Texas radar. So, yeah. um, you know, I, <laughs> talked to one source and i said you know why is this why is this happening like this it seems like every year um you know it happens like this at receiver and they just said you know our guy here he loves receivers he loves toys so um that's kind of how it is and um texas is uh is, is going to exhaust whatever they can to find keep adding weapons and playmakers to this offense. It's nice, though, Mike, with the year Devin Duvernay's having and, and the success Colin Johnson had last year, and even like Brennan Eagles averaging 28 yards a catch going into the West Virginia game. Um, it's nice to see Texas able to recruit now that they've got a system where not just you have tangible evidence of, yes, if you play this certain position, you can be productive, but uh, – it's, it, it appeals to skill guys. Like, it's been a really long time since Texas has had that. Yeah. I mean, it's – a guy like Quay Davis, I think, I feel like uh, in the past would have been a really hard guy to hold on to for two years. But, you know, he's really excited about the way Texas is throwing the ball. Um, and, and specifically that slot position. You know, they really pitch that – because it is such a productive position in this offense and is kind of the centerpiece of the offense. And, um, you know, it's part of pitches about how, you know, how much, uh, how much production they're getting on a, on a even yearly basis on a game by game basis. So um, that goes out to kids each week um, about what the spot did basically. And, And kids are noticing Duvernay. And I mean, if that guy can, keep stringing together a huge year, maybe even win a Blitnikoff, it's going to do wonders for, for what they can do recruiting-wise. All right, Mike, let's go ahead and get to some questions. Uh, again, some of these are from the last thread we posted on the message board, and some of them still apply. Uh, and I think based on what you reported uh, in your Mike at Night piece on Monday, the first question applies. D. Kinneman wants to know, which of our recruits are at greatest risk of being flipped? I wouldn't say, I think had we answered this a couple of weeks ago, we would have probably said none, but I think Joshua Eaton now at this point squarely in that conversation, is he not? 
Yeah, it sounds like coming off the Oklahoma visit that uh, there's a lot of some optimism up in Norman about flipping Joshua Eaton, the Aldi MacArthur cornerback. Um, you know, they, they took their shot at him and Princely Uma Milan. Uh, I was told that basically with Princely, everything's still good, still status quo for Texas, but um, there was an impact made on Eaton. Now, Eaton has kind of always been an impressionable kid, um, and I, I would really love to see what happens once the post-visit wears off on him and where things are at at that point. But um, there is some some uh, optimism there, and I think that if if anything, uh, you know, Texas will uh, will have a fight on their hands if they want to play him. All right, Mike, pack on our 46. It's a long question, but and I think we might have touched on this last time. If we did, I apologize, but I think it's worth hitting again. Is Texas going to dig deep for a JUCO cornerback and linebacker are the two positions mentioned? Uh, I'll let you take it from here, but my opinion, the way things sit, given whatever happens with Eaton, uh, I think Texas probably says Keely Ringo or bust at corner. I don't know that they look JUCO for corner. Uh, but JUCO linebacker, as we've talked about, definitely a possibility. Yes, yeah, it's, it's always a possibility for sure. I mean, we—I don't have names for you. I mean, there's nobody, um, there's nobody popping out that's like, okay, this is JUCO linebacker we need to watch yet. But um, you know, as of right now, um, I think that's always something on the table. So. Um, as far as corner, yeah, I think if, if they were to lose out on Eaton, I think maybe Ringo or Bust, or, or maybe they, you know, circle back to Jahari Rogers, who they've kept a little bit in contact with. Um, but, you know, I, I think um, Juco linebacker is always the, one of the positions I've, I've got an eye on um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to what they can do and, and um, you know, a position where they're fluid at. It's just going to depend on what's out there and, and where they feel their best chances are. Mike, uh, South Tex Horn 87 asked a question last time about the Brockermeyers, Tommy Brockermeyer, James Brockermeyer, uh, and, and we've covered that because they were in town for the LSU game. Uh, and, and I think so far probably they've had to have been pleased with the play of the Texas offensive line. But going a step further, their brother Luke Brockermeyer getting on a scholarship, how much of a game changer, if any, is that in their recruitment? I think a little bit. Um, I think it obviously matters a little bit. Uh, now, that said, those guys are still going to do their own thing and, uh, you know, kind of be their own uh, their own people. But I think that there was a lot of excitement. I, I, I spoke with, uh, with, with the boys and with Blake Brockermeyer shortly after that. There was a lot of excitement in their household, not to mention the fact that uh, Blake and SMU are now a top 25 team. That was a big weekend, um, yeah. you know, in their house. So, uh, they, you know, I think the the cool thing was basically I was told, you know, it's more than than just the money aspect of it. It's the fact that Luke went, you know, and bet on himself and and won, and uh, and and that's what they're really excited about. So I think it helps a little bit. I'm not sure that it it solidifies anything, but um, you know, it, it can't hurt. All right, Mike. Next question: uh, Who in 2020 that we are after could still flip to us if we have room? Are there one or two spots we could save someone for? Uh, we obviously being Texas, a fan asking the question. Uh, we've kind of hit on this too. I mean, you mentioned Jahari Rogers. We've talked about you know something happens with Chris Thompson. Although, given how Auburn started the season, that doesn't look likely. But uh, anybody, Mike, at this point that you think this staff would would save a spot for until the better end. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Keely Ringo. I mean, he's got a, a spot saved, even though he's not committed. 
Um, but yeah, those two guys that we've talked about, Jahari Rogers, Chris Thompson, but yeah, I mean, it's not much has changed since the last time I answered this question. Um, I would say that the, the two guys I've mentioned that Texas is working on behind the scenes that I, I can't get into. Those are both committed prospects. I mean, those would be guys they could possibly flip, but, um, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not much has changed. It is still kind of what it is. All right, Mike, hypothetically, if Roshan Johnson makes the permanent move to running back, would Texas look to add a second quarterback in the 2021 class? If so, who are some guys you would like to see Texas take a look at? So, Mike, I'll phrase it another way. Does If Roshan Johnson sticks at running back, which it looks like it could be you know, likely at this point, does that reopen the door at all, do you think, for Texas and Preston Stone? Yeah, maybe. It depends on what happens, A, with Quinton Jackson and where his development goes at the next level, and B, it, it depends on what happens on the transfer market, so if any of the current guys transfer. You know, right now, I think once they get to 2021, they would have potentially, you know, Sam on campus, Casey Thompson, uh, and then uh, you're talking about Hudson and Jaquinn. If those guys are all in the quarterback room with Jalen Milrow in the committed class, I don't think they go anywhere. But if one of those guys transfers or they don't find, um, you know, what they want with Jaquinn and Jackson at quarterback and, and decide to move him, then I think that there is a possibility that they revisit that and look at, at moving back in on Preston. So, yeah, I, you know, Sam will be gone by. 2021 but i mean if, if assuming casey thompson sticks it out which I, I think that's that's kind of for me when you talk about quarterback recruiting that to me is the piece going forward that okay um if he sticks then you probably trust yourself to develop him otherwise i mean shoot mike at that point i don't know if you're looking at a second 2021 maybe at that point you're looking at a, a grad transfer to, to fill that gap yeah, and I don't. Yeah, I don't know. You know how much another freshman does to that. I think that um, it's funny. I mean, I, I get this question a ton. I think everybody wants to figure out how to get all of their favorite prospects into the same right. class, and it's you know sometimes it's just really hard to do. And so um, I, I think I've been pretty clear about it that Texas has their guy. Jalen Milrow is their guy. Um, and you know, one thing I would hope is that Texas fans don't do the. Uh, you know, like the scoring lover type of thing and spend so much time focusing on Preston Stone that they, who I love, I think is a great prospect, but that they miss, you know, really uh, a, a special prospect in Jalen Milrow that they've got too. Right. All right, Mike, what is Kamar Wheaton's timeline considering he was going to pull the trigger back in the summer before Rashad Samples took the SMU job? Also, how is uh, linebacker recruiting looking in the state of Texas in 2021? Nobody really knows with Wheaton. I mean, he's not a kid that talks, so you, you've really got to go track him down to talk to him. And even when you do, he doesn't give you really anything. But um, luckily this Thursday I will be going to track him down to talk to him. Um, so we'll, we'll get a little bit of an update on that. But, you know, he's decided to kind of slow things down. He doesn't really have a stated timeline. Um, it could happen at any time, really. Uh, as far as linebacker recruiting goes, you know, I mean, it just depends. There's a lot of B-backer targets in this class in 2021. You know, Texas already has a guy, Derek Harris Jr., who I feel could fit at the B-backer or play inside like a rover. Um, but, you know, what they've really got to do is, is find, uh, you know, more bodies, obviously, there. I think, again, everybody's really concerned about linebacker, but they're there. Um, so, you know, what it, it really comes down to is, 
Todd Orlando spent um, a lot of his week last week out evaluating guys. Um, I think that you're looking at guys like Clayton Smith. Um, you know, Jatavian Sanders is, is already in the class as well, so he's good. he's a fit there. Um, so Texas has a couple bodies already. It just uh, it's just about uh, finding and developing and and recruiting more guys. Mike, before we get you out of here, we'll end on this. You went out to Tucson to see Bijan Robinson a couple of weeks ago. When we talked about him in the summer when he committed, and me just watching his film and looking at it from afar, really reminded me of Cedric Benson, just the way he's a natural runner of the football, just the, the footwork, uh, the the elusiveness. Doesn't have kind of a pop on contact Cedric Benson has, but just you know that underrated ability to miss guy. I, mean, I always thought Cedric Benson's footwork was the most underrated aspect of his game. Um, and I can't even believe this is real, but he's averaging 25 a carry as a high school senior. Um, just kind of in about 30 seconds, your quick overview from, from watching B. John Robinson getting to spend some time around him. I thought he was incredible. I mean, I it's so rare that we get to see five-star guys that live up to the five-star hype, you know, but I thought that B. John Robinson was incredible. I don't want to hear about his level of competition because if you've seen what Jake Smith's been able to do, um, you know, at, at the college level, he played the same level of competition, and he similarly had dominant performances against that competition. I think that, you know, that's kind of where uh, Bijan Robinson is averaging 25 yards of carry. And um, at some point he was averaging uh, a touchdown on every other touch, basically. Uh, Cedric Betts, you and I kind of talked about this. It is a great, great call. I mean, he changes gears so effortlessly. He just kind of glides into it. Like he doesn't lose any speed when he cuts and you know, that's really a, a, an invaluable trait for a running back. I Cedric Benson is a comparison I like. I asked Bijan really who his comparison for himself was or a guy that he modeled his game after. And he gave me LaShawn McCoy, which I thought was a really interesting one and one I hadn't thought of. And, and that kind of, you know, went, went very well with, with the skill set he has. So, um, you know, this kid is, if he stays healthy, um, should be able to do huge things in this office and really give them a, a dynamic running threat, which will, you know, make the offense pretty complete all the way around. Folks, you get them on Twitter at Mike Roach two four seven at Horns twenty four seven and that State of Recruiting podcast with he and Bobby Burton. Mike, always appreciate the time, man. We'll do it again next week. All right, it's good catching up, guys. Talk to you later. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, time to make some picks for Texas and West Virginia. Matt, I believe, is this still an 11.5-point spread? I'm going to pull up the most recent, but that's what it was this morning. It started okay. at 10, right? It started, it's went up, but it I don't at 10, know. It went to 11? Yeah, I don't okay. think it's went back down yet. An 11.5-point favorite on the road is on the Texas. Road. That's pretty impressive. It's, it's one of those deals, Rod, I don't really worry about this game. Uh, you know, like we just talked about, there's nothing about West Virginia that really should – scary to borrow the old Mac Brown lunch to scare you to death. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything like no. that. Um, this is, to me, it's, it's more about Texas, and can you play to that standard, and can you look like a top-ten team in a country is, is supposed to look on the road? It, 
But I'll say this to set up the rest of the conference since this is the first conference road game. That, to me, is what's going to separate the better teams in this league. Who can go steal wins on the road? Like all those teams that are kind of muddled together – like Oklahoma State, if they're not in the Big 12 championship game, they'll look back at that the Texas, Texas loss and say, yeah. man, that's one that's one we should have had. If Iowa State's right there, they'll look back at that Baylor loss and say, that's like win on the road we could have stolen from somebody. Totally. Um, so if you're Texas, these are games like you, you – the games where you can take care of business on the road and you should, uh, just go do it. Matt, I'll start with you. What are you feeling in this one? Oh, it's one that I, I like that – or at least seeing that the line has went up in the over-under. It's went up a total of two points, and now it's only went up about a half a point to Texas, which means that West Virginia is gaining a little bit of ground in the public. But just on the road against a bad defense, I think the two weaknesses of these teams would say be the defenses. So that's going to be more inclined to a higher-scoring game, especially when you're at the home dog to where they may overperform. And expecting a better performance from the Texas defense isn't necessarily realistic. But I just have so much confidence in Sam. And if other teams and top-tier teams like LSU can't stop Sam or Oklahoma State even, which I feel, at least talent-wise, is a little bit above West Virginia. I don't see how West Virginia keeps in it. If you're betting, though, wait for that to come. That 11 to 11.5 is a huge difference right there. If you can get it back around 11 or 10.5, wait for that because 11.5 is a quite a valuable one. So I still I think Texas is like right on the number. Texas ends up winning the over-unders at 59 right now. I think it goes mm. pretty heavily over that, probably closer to like 70 in Texas when something like, uh, say, 37 to 24. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I am with you. I kind of, I, I just, I, I know Sam is going to travel, so I know certain things are going to work for Texas. Um, I know the offensive line is going to be good. I'm worried a little bit about the running game. I think all three running backs, this is a game where all three running backs should play. Like Keontae Ingram, Rashawn Johnson, and Daniel Young should all play, and they should all combine for like 200 yards rushing. It's one of those types of games. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Tom and, Herman's 15-0 and 0 at Texas when he runs the ball <laughs> at least 40 times. No, no, it is, I mean, this is one of those kind of cheesy games where I think that you can do that. You can kind of – should be able to kind of impose your will on West Virginia or that, that running game should travel. That'll shorten the game too. You know what I mean? And it'll, 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 it'll minimize mistakes or potential <laughs> mistakes, minimize risks on the road, if you will. Even if it doesn't work, though, that's what I love about the Texas offense. It has options. Then you get Devin DuVernay and Jake Smith as the extension of the running game. And then you got, you know, you can work the passing game downfield with Sam. So many options, Sam in the running game. If if one thing doesn't work, one of those options will work for Texas. So I know they're not going to be able to stop the Texas offense. I'm worried a little about the Texas defense, but the West Virginia running game has been inept. Uh, so far this year, they can throw the ball a little bit, but I think they only have so few threats in the passing game. Uh, Kennedy McCoy, one out of the backfield, Sam James, that Texas will be able to kind of minimize the damage for those guys. I think Texas wins 40, 42 to mm, 42 to 16. Wow, Rod B going with a nice thumping. Um, yeah, I think I, Texas beats them pretty handily. Yeah, I I think we're going to find out how much Neil Brown trusts Austin Kendall because I think the worst thing that could happen to West Virginia is for Texas to get a lead and for you to turn it into a throw game because at that point you have to make yourself one-dimensional and yeah. if Todd Orlando can take away resources that he's got to devote to the run to help a, a secondary that's, you know, B.J. Foster right now is probable. 
I don't know that yeah. we'll see DeMarvion Overshone. Uh, you know Caden Stearns and Jalen Green won't be back there. Josh Thompson won't be back there. So That'll be a problem. You'll see a lot of Deshaun Jameson, a lot of Kobe Boyce, probably a lot of Anthony Cook. Chris Adamora might throw out the bone out there in the mix. Probably, <laughs> probably see Chris Adamora. We're yeah. going to see a lot of Chris Brown. Montrell Estelle is another guy who I would expect to see yeah. play a lot. Yeah, but, so exactly. So those guys, that's an, that's an X factor. We don't know what those yeah. guys are going to bring. So I think from that standpoint, I think West Virginia might hit a couple shots in this game. I wouldn't be shocked if they scored off those shots. Uh, I'm going to go with a cover and a win for Texas. Probably not as not as big as yours, Rod. I like Texas to win this game 35-20 just because I think Texas is a better football team. Okay. Yeah. Pretty good. And I, 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 I think a lower scoring game maybe because I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point if Texas is up big that maybe Neil Brown doesn't say, you know what, let's just try to run the ball, kill some clock, and just get out of here and live to fight another day. Okay. Like I think the where Texas is at this point I th- and where West Virginia is, I wouldn't, and I don't want to sound overconfident, but this is going to come off overconfident. I, I I wouldn't be shocked if this game got to that point. Okay, yeah, I agree. Gets to the point where Casey Thompson needs to get in there. Get in there, Casey. You want the you want Casey Thompson. Yes, in there. that should. If that you're a Texas fan, that goal. should be your goal. The goal should be by the time the fourth quarter starts, yeah. Casey Thompson's up in there doing his thing. If that's not the case, then things have gotten a little closer than we need them to be. And I like your score because Texas seemed to have straddled that over-under this year. It's either the last score puts you right over it by about three points or over, and that's sort of where Texas going for touchdowns over field goals is sort of the difference than your normal point spreads. Yeah, And I don't think Tom Herman wants to risk a blocked field goal or something like that on the road. I agree with that. You know, the bubble screens become your best short yardage play, and – you know, if you've still got 11 back there, you feel like you could go convert in, You're good. in your short yardage situations. Totally agree. All right, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You are more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for Mike Roche, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B. on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. Thank you guys so much for continuing to support the podcast. You can get us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Anywhere you get your podcast, don't forget to like us and leave us a review. And thanks to Matt, you can get our archives, classic shows, classic interviews on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.